Welcome to Breaking Bread. I'm Terry Page. Cyber attack attempts against businesses and individuals happen daily, but this is not something that companies discuss with the masses. If data about the attackers were shared among businesses, perhaps we would have a chance to better prepare against a fight against cyber attacks. CrowdSec CEO Philip May joins us today to discuss how um, we could do some joint efforts and maybe help fight against uh, cyber attacks. Philip Amun, welcome to Breaking Bread. Hi, Terry. Thank you for having me on the show. Hey, very happy to have you. Now, Philip, you've had uh, many roles prior to creating CrowdSec, uh, from uh, pen setter to community builder to even e-commerce expert. What are you working on now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I sold my previous company where I did all those things. Pen testing was really, really fun. You know, it's about breaking into a company. You paid for that. You tell them where the weaknesses are and then they fix it. And then, you know, I switched to something more. Uh, I mean, that required less constant uh, involvement because pen testing, you need to be on top of your skills like and learn uh, constantly day in day out uh, all throughout all the year and then i had a wife i had a kid and you know you, you have not that amount of time ahead of yourself so i started to do e-commerce that was really cool as well people needed security in e-commerce they need security in media so i tried to do defensive security and stop offensive security that's how you know it turned out and i sold this company and created a new one um, which is all about defensive security again so you're a family man as well as an entrepreneur. So it's like you have your hands full. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to make an arbitration in between uh, the time you have to spend with your kid or kids and uh, the time you have to spend with your company and uh, and make your investor happy. So that that's all a balance. And it's uh, I think we all have to do these kind of choices. But when you're an entrepreneur, uh, you work for yourself. So you know, you when you take time, uh, you also eventually uh, you have to weigh the things. You know? Hey, believe me, I, I understand that very well. <laughs> now, when I hear CrowdSec, I, it kind of comes to mind crowdsourcing. Any yes. relation? So it's a lot about crowdsourcing. It's about the collective effort. We cannot possibly uh, fight an, uh, an army of uh, cyber criminal without having a larger army. And the problem right now is every business is fighting alone against an army, thinking they have superpowers like jetpack, laser eyes, Batmobile, shields and stuff. But the, the simple truth is, if you fight against an army being alone, you lose, period. No matter what Hollywood tell you. And Hollywood has been you know, planting this image that you can fight against an army being a superhero. It's just not true. If you fight an army, you have to have a bigger army, period. And what we are doing with the crowd is gathering this larger army. Yeah, that, that sounds like the way to go. I mean, you've had some major companies be uh, that, that have been hacked, you know, the Colonial Pop Pipeline, for example, mm -hmm. Yahoo, Facebook, the meeting <clears throat> that you and I both, both use, LinkedIn. So those are some pretty heavy players. And you go it alone, like you say, numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No matter the amount of budget they have, they fail. Because for the last 40 years, uh, the doctrine was you can, you know, you should stack products, you should stack people until you solve the problem. You throw more money at the problem. This is the way Americans do things, but it's the way everybody do things in the world, basically. So it didn't work at all uh, because, yeah, colonial pipeline and so on. And now on top of that, on top of these usual attacks we see, there is another problem. And the problem being that uh, cyber criminals are buying legitimate credentials. 
So basically, if you're someone working at, uh, say, Colonial Pipeline, for example, and a hacker or cyber criminal rather will come to you and tell you, okay, what if I give you something like one Bitcoin and you lose your laptop, right? How do you say? Uh, because, you know, then the guy is getting the credential and is connecting with real credentials onto the colonial pipeline system and is then wrecking a VOC internally. And what do you do as colonial pipeline? Because you have to defend against something that is extremely delicate. You know, it's a normal login, the proper password. Huh. It's not easy to, to fight with those kind of behavior. And it's more and more the case, like lapsus, this uh, cyber criminal group lately uh, that broke into Okta, Samsung, Microsoft, and so on. They were using this kind, or they are actually using this kind of methods. And you're talking a lot of money that's being affected. They get in there and they, they, they take your your funding, and which brings me to another point. There's a lot of money involved in this sort of uh, attacking, isn't there? Oh yeah, your side of it. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. I mean, if you look at the global cybersecurity costs, it's something like six trillion dollars. So six thousand billion dollars. It's like. Yeah the GDP of the third biggest country, if it was a country, right? So on the table, there is a loot that is insanely big. So you're not facing any, you know, uh, loony that is trying to hack. You're, tr you're facing real cyber criminal, real mafias, real uh, state-backed and organized groups that are trying to, uh, to get your money. And the way they do it most of times lately is ransomware. And people mistake ransomware with a hacking method, which is it is not. Actually, ransomware is a monetization method. The way people break in is the same as they used to 10 years ago, more or less. But monetization of these hacks are now done through ransomware, which is the highest price you can pay for a technical debt. Wow. Okay. And you. And speaking of which, Don, you've um, there's a lot of money on your side involved. You just came off some fundraising efforts, correct? Yes, yes, because, you know, the industry uh, is replying to this threat uh, in the best way they can, meaning they are founding startups that are looking in the, at the problem in a disruptive manner. So some of them are monitoring your domain names. Some of them are protecting your laptop or your credentials or putting two-factor authentication in place so that, you know, people have to know the password, but also own a phone or something like this so that they can prove their identity. We are uh, creating this crowdsource effect, like this ways of firewalls. We think ways solved uh, elegantly the problem of road hazards and uh, that we could apply this uh, strategy to cyber criminality. And that's why we are founded in uh, a round yesterday. It was actually yesterday for 14 million uh, euros. So it could help us expand operations in the world. We already have a hundred 15,000 machines in the world reporting the threat they face uh, in real time. And we want to expand this network to a million machine. Like you said, um, um, sourcing, crowdsourcing, you want to get as many involved to kind of fight this. Now, you mentioned before about, uh, you know, the, the hacking, you're hacking your devices, for example. I mean, there's many ways you can get in, for example, like if your phone through an app or something like that. How can the average person tell if they've even been hacked? It's extremely delicate because if we think phones, so already the average person is unlikely to be hacked, not directly like this uh, by state uh, baked, baked group or stuff like that. They are 
eventually on in the line of fire for some of their apps and you know their cryptocurrency being stolen or their bank account being accessed okay but the uh the very high level um intrusion system that are available for phones are extremely costly so if you want to have what we could call a zero click exploit on a phone you're looking at price tags like one million two million per year you know but wow. with this I can break into your phone without you having to do anything. Not even open a message or an image or whatever. Just, you know, you exist, you're hacked. Just and own that, the phone and you're hacked. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible, terrible. So those things exist and they still do exist. And the, the cyber criminal behind them are so comfortable uh, with the concept that they are guaranteeing you that even though the patch, the vulnerability would be covered by uh, iOS or Android, they would still find another one and you would still be able to deploy your malware uh, uh, in any target. So basically they are covering you against the fact that there will be a patch and an update on your phone. So they are very sure of themselves. With me today is Philip Amu, the uh, CEO of CrowdSec. Uh, Philip, what is the largest uh, cybersecurity threat today? Well, I think really the one that is the most puzzling to most companies is these leg legitimate credentials. Because now with this ransomware industry, we have kind of established a standard. People are paying the ransoms, you know, and they are sometimes deduced from their taxes or refunded by insurance. So we are breeding an ecosystem here that is benefiting the cyber criminals. So basically you have people negotiating the ransom, you have people selling you anti-ransomware system, you have people that are in charge of guaranteeing you whatever uh, insurance against ransomware and so on. So this is an official business now, not just on the cyber criminal side, it's an official business in the whole industry. And the thing is, now what they do is they offer you to buy your credentials and connect to the system with legitimate uh, login and password and it's extremely delicate to fight those you have to fight them on a behavior standpoint saying for example okay this guy is doing maintenance for us usually he connects from as i don't know like uh, austria and today is connecting from ireland that's weird that's not normal maybe we should raise a flag at the secops desk telling them there's something fishy. Maybe it's okay. Maybe the guy took a plane and he's uh, with his granny uh, in Ireland. Or maybe it's someone else that bought the credential and it's yeah. connecting from another place and it's dangerous. So the two main things we can do here is study the behavior and raise the flag as soon as it's weird. And the second thing is always and constantly, and it's good for everyone. I mean, for everyone and everything, activate two-factor authentication. This is a super strong line of defense. It's not a silver bullet, but it's extremely efficient in deterring most of the hacking uh, techniques. Philip, uh, could you tell a little bit more about what CrowdSec does and what distinguishes you from everyone else? Yeah, so we are not really trying to outsmart the, the cyber criminals, first and foremost, because most of the companies nowadays that are editing software, they are trying to be as fast or as smart or smarter. We are trying to outnumber them, simply as it is. We are outnumbering them, demographically speaking, 10,000 to 1 or 100,000 to 1. The only thing we are not doing so far is collectively partake into an effort to curate the system. And this is what CrowdSec is offering. So what we do is 
we are installing, or, or rather our users are installing this free software. Again, it's free, it's free open source. So guys, I mean, there's no barrier here. You can adopt it tomorrow, right? So it looks into your logs and within those logs, it will find bad behavior. So I'll describe a few behaviors so that we put a reality on it. It could be port scan, the classical scan to see the surface. It could be web scan to find what is in your website. It could be credit card stuffing, right? People that have credit card numbers and are trying them to see if they are still valid. And what they do is they try, they attempt to make a $0.1 transaction, for example, whereas your average card is $30. So this is a different behavior. We have people doing VOIP shenanigans. We have people that are doing, for example, uh, uh, DDoS or ransomware letter remove. Uh, while trying to guess your password on a VPN uh, endpoint or things like this. So we have 50 different behaviors so far, including things like scalping, for example, like buying very rare goods and reselling them for a higher price on eBay. Well, once you have identified this bad behavior, the agent is blocking it, is dealing with it. So it blocks the, the IP address that is behind it, right? So you protect it, but you protected alone. Now, what you do is you're sharing with us what we call the metadata of the attack, which is the IP address that has been aggressive toward you, the behavior it tried to unfold at your place, and the timestamp. And with those three parameters, and we don't need your logs, we just need those, we'll be able to tell, oh, okay, we've seen the, this IP address doing this here, and here, and here, and here. So it's not just attacking you, it's attacking a lot of people in the same way. And then the IP address gets a reputation based on its behavior. It's like in the real world. If you have a bad behavior and it's known and you repetitively do this, then you will have a bad behavior, a bad reputation. And it's the exact same thing we are doing. So once your reputation is really bad, your IP address ends up in what we call a block list that is further reinforcing the protection of every member of the network. Should this IP address not be used anymore by uh, a cyber criminal because it was, I don't know, a, a VPN uh, or it was a rented server or something like this, then we'll release it, we'll clear it as well very fast. So it's extremely dynamic because the guys are extremely dynamic, but it's anything but smart. It's just about brute forcing, outnumbering. Philip, I love the way you explain that. I mean, that that's that's perfect. If you've got in outside of the world in the real world if someone is out committing crimes and they're a criminal law enforcement then flags that person and they're like wait this person is a suspect in these type of crimes so i i suppose what you're saying is same deal here with this ip address yes absolutely i mean uh and even further down the line i know you've worked in the media theory and uh, what happens in the media, for example, is sometimes they are attacked by uh, um, states and governments that are trying to hinder democracy, for example, or push their own candidates and things like this. Uh, we have the, the crowd allows you to see this. If the network is big enough, what we see, for example, is some of the German medias have been attacked during the chancellor election. Some of the French media have been attacked during the presidential election. Some of the UK, uh, British uh, media have been attacked during uh, the um, prime minister campaigns and stuff like that. What we can tell with this is those IP addresses that are common to those three attacks are not attacking specifically media, they're attacking democracy. Okay, uh, and I just want to make sure that I'm understanding what you're saying here today. The, the largest threat you would say is more toward corporations versus individuals? Yes, absolutely. Because individuals, it's like the low hanging fruit. 
if you catch someone, say for example, a cyber criminal breaks into your phone or your household and is trying to snatch your, your crypto. Fine, maybe he's gonna make, I don't know, I don't wanna suppose your, your patrimony, but let's say he makes 100,000 euros or out of it or dollars. That's fine, that's a good amount. But if he breaks into a company like Colin Pipeline, he's looking at 1 million to 10 million eventually. And now that the insurance companies are covering the, the, the expenses, and that you can eventually deduce, deduce them from your taxes, it's basically government paying. So that's fine. I mean, they are getting just a larger loot, uh, less risk of being exposed and less work to do. And remember, it's, it's always been true. The cyber criminals are the first DevOps in the world. They were the first one to automate everything because they want to harvest money as fast as they can. So it's an extremely, exceedingly structured industry. So there are people developing the exploits, there are people using them, there are people selling uh, what we call the initial uh, credentials, the, the initial breakthrough in the company and so on and so forth. And all of this is split across a large industry and they are selling things to, to one another. So for example, if I have an access into a, a critical company, say, I don't know, Pfizer, I will monetize it to Conti, which is a ransomware group. Conti will get in and install its ransomware, cipher everything, and then ask for the ransom. But the guy that had the initial login is maybe not equipped or organized or doesn't have the knowledge to do it himself. So it's a, a very horizontalized industry where people are teaming a lot. So they are teaming and we are not. And this is where CrowdSec is trying to change a deal. They are teaming, so are we. If I'm a cybersecurity criminal, which I'm not, I would love to set up because I could go in, I can threaten companies, I'll get yeah. what I want, I get lots of money and mm. help a lot of my friends. I would not be a fan of CrowdSec, however. No, no. <laughs> As an industry, where is uh, cybersecurity moving? Yeah, so first you're right. I mean, cyber criminals are not really happy with what we're doing. That's not a problem. I mean, it's a fair game. If they, they are trying to hack us, that's fine. We're trying to get to defend against them. Uh, it's a cat and, cat and mouse problem. Um, but we are well defended because most of us are former pen testers and cybersecurity experts. So we have notions in the field. I wouldn't say we are above risk, but we have definitely strong notion in the field. And we all did it constantly. So where is the cybersecurity industry heading? I'd say we have too much uh, in the game, too much stake. Every of us has too much stake in the game. We cannot possibly let internet be uh, controlled by cyber criminals or, or let them win the, the game. So the industry is heavily founded, that's fine. The companies are not very uh, sensitive to those problems. And uh, I think we are going toward a, a bigger, uh, smarter society uh, altogether that will rely more and more and more and more on uh, digital uh, assets. So we have to secure it. It's not an option. It's not a, a maybe, it's a certainty. Now, will we do it in a decade or two? I don't know. Why haven't we done it before? Because it was not considered as a, a imminent threat, you know or a problem big enough. And maybe we didn't have the proper solutions. Now, the network makes it so that it's super easy for each other to communicate, update, and maintain security at a good level. So it's just a question of investment and time. And I'm fairly sure the global industry will tame the problem. Never stop it fully, but tame the problem. 
Now, I say this because um, the mainstream media doesn't focus on this as much, but I will say that the attacks uh, are on the rise. Like between 2021 and 2022, it was up 15%. Uh, oh, more that. than that. More than that. More than that. Wow, during really the COVID? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More, during the COVID, at the, during the first initial months of the lockdown, we saw a time four. Time four, and the, the way they were trying to get into the companies was actually very smart. They said, okay, people are home. And you know what? Now home is an extension of the global system of a company. So if you say JP Morgan and you have people working from home, JP Morgan has to include part of the household network into its own network through VPNs or stuff like that. But it's not safe. I mean, your home environment is absolutely not safe and secure enough to be part of a company uh, network. So what happened is there, there was some uh, porosity in between your home network and your company network eventually, right? That's why most of companies were not ready to deploy VPNs on, or, or remote work uh, capacities. Now it's better, but at, at the very inception of the lockdowns, a lot was done uh, to attack uh, people so that you can get from their home into their company network. And it was not so complicated because they had very basic uh, Wi-Fi system at home that can be broken quite easily. Uh, they had a weak access point, maybe the kiddo had an Android device where you installed whatever crap uh, that could uh, help a cyber criminal roam into his household and then extract data or eventually connect to the, to the, to the company network. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it changed a lot the, the, the stage. Yeah, my last guest, when we talked about cybersecurity, Shadow, his uh, mantra is, if it can connect, it's a threat. That's why we have to identify people formally. We have to be sure of them, and we have to help them protect themselves. So basically, if you're a company remote first, I highly encourage you to train people in, in like, uh, and help them in four simple ways. First, install a separate Wi-Fi in their place. Right? And eventually a separate connection so that their household is in a different network than their uh, work environment. That's a fundamental uh, of security. Second thing is train them in the, into having very good passwords. And it's pretty easy, actually. Take four things you like. Like just four things. I don't know. Maybe you like Mustang car. Okay, Mustang. Maybe you like the black IPs. Okay, you have four words. <laughs> Mustang underscore black underscore eyes underscore P. You know, and uh, maybe uh, iPhone or exclamation mark at the end or something like this. And you have a very strong password. And you can create password for anything you want like this. And you can eventually add underscore underscore work, underscore underscore personal, underscore underscore eBay or Amazon or whatever. That way you have different passwords everywhere. Use a password wallet as well. That way you don't have even to think about it. And, and that, that is re really critical to use two-factor authentication, right? It's absolutely fundamental. And the last thing is never trust an email or the sender of an email, specifically if there's some sense of urge in it. If I tell you like, Terry, you really have to change my password. I'm in Brazil. I'm negotiating a big contract. I'm stuck with the client. It's just not possible. Please change my password. This is highly suspicious. Anyone asking you to bypass a procedure or putting pressure on you like this is probably trying to screw you up. So always make a double check call your boss or, you know, reach them out through another medium like phone, Slack, whatever you want to double check that it's really him or her and not someone trying to, to con you. I was shocked to, to learn that people still use words like password as yeah. password. That, no, that's terrible. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that's don't terrible. Do that. 
I mean, that's terrible. And that's, I can't understand it because honestly, it's super easy to create a strong password. Like really, you don't have to think, I mean, you have like a friend, you have movies you like, take movie titles, take a full sentence if you want. Like, you know, I don't know. I like uh, to go to concerts. Fine, you will never forget this password and it's unbreakable. I promise you that someone who's listening right now is in a position, they, they probably work for uh, one of these companies. And one thing that we found out is that people, the, the, this, the hacking comes into place as done by human error. People clicking on those emails mm -hmm. thinking that it's a, a friend or from the company and hence they're in and we're off to the races. Yeah, and, and they are very good. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not only a problem of, of the user. It's also that the, the bad guys are extremely good at that. Sometimes I see uh, crafted emails that are trying to, uh, to lure someone into something. They are so well done. They are so perfect. There's no mistakes. All the logos are fine. Eventually, you will see one padlock that turns red or orange instead of being green. But you really have to pay attention. And the, the one thing people can look at is the domain name. Because it's, it's pretty hard nowadays um, to have a real authenticated uh, domain name. Like that would be the, the right one, like Citigroup, right? You cannot have the Citigroup domain name fully. You would have something like city.group.something and they would try to lure you with this. So before you click on the link, be sure that the domain name is legitimate and looks healthy. If it's anything convoluted, it's not the right company. Yeah, they'll make it look really good and people mm -hmm. will be fooled to click on it and that's it. Philip, um, it's someone listening right now and they're, and they're very interested in what you have to say. They want to learn more. How can they find you? Yeah, they can go on crowdsec.net, crowdsec.net because we're a network. Uh, they will find everything they need in this or they can just Google crowdsec. Uh, it's a free open source software. So again, everybody can use it and get better defense and security for free, which is, you know, it's, it's really a bargain, I would say, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, well, thanks for joining us. Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, join the army, guys. I mean, we are putting up a fight. Uh, we've lost round one. Now we're gathering the forces all together and we firmly intend to win round two. So we're all in this together. We got we to gotta fight it. Absolutely. All right. Philip, we thank you so much for being with, with us today. My pleasure, Terry. Breaking Bread is a production of Artists for the People. Follow us on Twitter at Breaking Bread 101. That's break. The letter N is November, Bread 101. Or catch us on Instagram, Breaking Bread Podcast. Check us out on Facebook or visit our website, breakingbread.biz. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Breaking Bread 101. Give us a listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed by Ludwig Van Beethoven. Breaking Bread was created by Terry Page. Success is where opportunity meets preparation. Until next time. <laughs>